So how are you doing? Uh, I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) As I showed you, like right before we started recording, I'm covered in all of my Game of Thrones faux fur blankets. I've got a heating pad on. We're in the middle of a winter squall, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) The infamous winter squall. Did you get the the, like phone screaming at you at midnight? Okay. So this worries me a little bit. I got the alert when I woke up this morning, mm-hmm. but it didn't make, I don't know if maybe I have the thing turned off on my phone where it's like, I don't need to know about emergency alerts, like right in the moment. Yeah. Cause I do the, I, I, I do do the thing of at a certain point in the evening, my phone is like, yeah, no, unless it's, unless you're getting repeated phone calls from one of your favorites, like we're not gonna. Yeah. And my phone is on silent all the time, regardless. Uh, But I either slept through Mm -hmm. the alert, which is completely possible because I was shredded last night, or my phone didn't make any sound. Either way, I did not know about the likelihood of the winter squall of 2021 until I woke (laughs) up this morning and was already knee deep in it. Yeah. Yeah. I got mine started. I was like, oh my God, Amber alert. (laughs) Like children missing. Oh no, it's snow. Oh, it scares me so bad. And I do have to crack up a little at the winter squall alerts in New Mexico. And then everyone posting on Facebook, like, oh my God, we're getting all this snow. I'm like, like you guys need to like live in Boston for a couple of years because that'll change your opinion about what a winter squall is. Yeah, I'm confused as to why the winter squall classification, because when I woke up and I looked outside, I was like, OK, there's snow, but it wasn't mm-hmm. anything yeah, crazy. I think when I got up this morning, it looked like three inches or something, three, four yeah, inches, maybe, maybe. like, yeah. I, don't, yeah, I don't know why I had to yell at me at midnight last night. Wake me up. <laughs> So hey, um, yeah, yeah. So there's that. So I'm I'm ready for the winter squall. I am recuperating. I started. I just started taking aerial classes, which is super fun and like super challenging. Very very cool. And um, beating the shit out of you. Yeah, and I heard all over. Yeah, for the listeners over. who maybe don't know what what exactly is an aerial class. Okay, I don't know if I'm the best person, but uh, Pink for a while was doing it. The musician Pink was doing it. It's basically aerials are sort of like what you see in the circus, not trapeze stuff. Although I think that can be like yeah. an aspect of it. But like right now, I'm learning the silks, mm-hmm. and then there's like the hoop, which is I think called a lira. There's a cube, so those are like hard apparatus. Right. But yeah, right now I'm learning. I'm learning basic silk stuff and it's just, I mean, it's, it's moving in ways that just, right. Yeah. You're upside down and you're like, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot, but it's really, really fun. And I'm doing it with, with two friends of mine and it just, I'm super glad that I'm doing it with them because I feel my perception (laughs) is that we just spend a lot of the class laughing, you know, at ourselves and then cheering each other on. Yeah. 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 Doing something like that with a bunch of strangers, I would be, I would be intimidated. Yeah, I think I'd feel we- I'd feel a little more weird about it. Yeah, we should introduce ourselves. Oh yeah, hi everybody. <laughs> this is the weirdest thing podcast, uh, where Scotty and I get together and tell you about the weirdest stuff we find on the internet. I am your co-host Amelia Ampuero, and I am Scotty Milder. 
Yeah. So other than other than being sore, uh, how's your day going? Fine. Yeah. Yeah. We're recording at a weird time, which <laughs> yeah. is also like I feel <laughs> like after this, I'm just gonna be like and yeah. fall asleep. But that's I, well, I mean, maybe it is going to be how today goes. I don't know. Yeah. How's your day? You have big news. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i having a good day. I'm in a good mood. I had my first COVID shot today. Yay. Back, can, we, can we put in a, shot. can we put in like a yay? Of yeah. Cheers <laughs> right <something>. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for those of you guys who don't know how it works, uh, and if you're in New Mexico specifically, if you have not signed up yet, you should go to CV, I think it's cvvaccine.nmhealth.org. Mm, okay. I could be wrong. I'm gonna put, I'll put it in the show notes. And uh, you just put in some information, sign up, and you kind of like get in the queue. And I did that, I don't know, two, three weeks ago. And then I got yeah. the email this weekend that they were like, okay, you're ready to go, like schedule. And then I looked and it was like, we can get you in on Tuesday. So I went in and uh, got the shot. I'm not 100% sure why I was in the earlier group. <laughs> yeah, because I signed up, I'm pretty sure actually before you did. You did like um, weeks before me because you told me about it. And then I kept mm-hmm. forgetting for like three weeks to sign up. Mm-hmm. So. And then, or rather, and I have not heard anything. Yeah. Well, and like my parents who were like, you know, they're in their seventies. Patiently yeah, as are mine. <laughs> like they have not, <laughs> they have not gotten it either. So. And it's still unclear, right? If you have had the vaccine, if you were able to transmit to other people. Yeah. So it's like, Mm. I'm definitely like, I'm, it's not going to change my life in any significant ways in terms of like social distancing, wearing masks, all that stuff. I don't know the science behind it, but there's some theory that like, you know, the vaccine will protect you from getting sick, but you may still be able to transmit the virus. God. Okay. You know, I don't want to do that, obviously. But yeah, yeah, I think my guess is... Like I was talking to my parents about it this morning and like my best guess is there's maybe three reasons why I got moved up. Mm -hmm. One is I think living in Albuquerque, you know, we have a proportionately higher number of COVID cases here. So we're probably like a high risk population Two, I'm an educator. And I, I think that like, it's a little unclear because I know there was like a local controversy about whether educators are considered like in the first tier or not. Um, And then three, I do have like some health things. I have a autoimmune disease. So I'm wondering if like the three things together, they're like, yeah, let's get this guy. They're like, shoot it into his mouth. Like immediately. (laughs) I was texting another friend this morning and I was saying like, I keep waiting for them to be like, Oh, sorry. We thought you were 70. See you in May. Like (laughs) RB, RB. I'm bad. I'm bad. Totally. But no, they got me like, and and just so you guys know, like the process was real easy. They sent me down to the pit, which is Mm -hmm. uh, for those of you guys not in Albuquerque, it's, it's like our local college basketball arena. And they said, don't show up until 10 minutes before your appointment. I think they just didn't want like a mob of people probably. I'm sure. I'm sure. So I go in the door. Like I was actually two minutes early and I apologized today. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm two minutes early. He's like, just go. You're fine. <laughs> and like went, got in line. And it was, there was a lot of people in line in front of me. There's probably 60 people in front of me. Uh-huh. I was definitely the youngest person there. It looked like mostly they're trying to get like, senior citizens and uh get in line and but then they just moved us through they just hustled us through i think i was only in line maybe 15 minutes and then got up gave them a little bit of information to like confirm my identity asked them which vaccine i was getting they said it was the (laughs) pfizer vaccine okay all right Um, and then they scheduled my follow-up for the booster in three weeks they scheduled it right there sat me down stuck me in the arm and there you go 
So, and they did say, you know, they gave me warnings about like, well, you might have certain side effects. Like you might have a mild fever or fatigue or, you know, soreness in the arm. But like at this point, that, that was a two, three hours ago. Yeah. Or a little more, about four hours ago. Like I feel fine. Like my arm's a little tender where you mm-hmm. get the shot, but like, otherwise I feel fine. So I mean, we'll see, I guess we'll see. I think, you know, it can show up in over a couple of days. Yeah. But yeah. So if you guys, like I said, if you guys have not signed up for it, and if you're not in New Mexico, figure out what your state like health organization is. And and I feel like if you go to, I feel like if you go to your state's Department of Health website, right, uh, it should be that information should be accessible on there. Whether it's that you have, uh, yeah, I don't. It, it, the hamster literally stopped running mid thought. <laughs> like it, my brain was like going in one direction, and then and the hamster like, nope. not only stopped running but fully laid down to take a nap. <laughs> like it was like good night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So go go get that checked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was really easy, and I do got to say, like all the people who are working there, they had it really down to like an efficient process. Oh, thank God, that's so great to hear. Yeah, they had a lot of people helping out, you know, kind of ushering you, telling you where to go. And and then they had me sit for like a half hour. I think because I told them they asked about like drug allergies and I have one drug allergy. And so they were like, well, let's observe you for half an hour. So they made me sit for like a half an hour and I just like dicked around on my phone. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, okay, you're good. And then I left and that was Bye. it. Bye. Bye. Okay. So yeah, so I'm half vaccinated right now. Heck Yes. <laughs> Heck yes. Great. That's great. That means that the next time I see you in person, I can just cough right into your face. I know. I've been saying like, once I get the booster shot, I'm just going to go start breathing in people's faces and be like, it's okay. I'm vaccinated. We just talked about, we don't, (laughs) they can breathe on you. (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to end up in the news. New Mexico man is a super spreader. (laughs) Oh, wow. All right. That's fantastic. I'm real happy for you, Scotty. I'm so happy. I know. I've I've got your vaccine. A few people have messaged me like, oh, how'd you get it? Like, oh, that's awesome. And then there have been a couple messages from people that I can tell they're just like a little salty about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, like, how'd you get the vaccine? I'm like, I don't know. I I blew somebody to get it. That's how I got it. Sex. (laughs) I I used my body. Wow, you were really amused by that. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Okay, all right. Let's get it. Let's this. get going. Let's get into this stuff. So this is this is like Brain Week, right? Yeah, this, this is, is our like Strange Brain Stuff Week. I think Strange Brain. Cool, cool, cool. Do we have any like anything we want to talk about first, or should I just like jump in? Yeah, I think you're going first. So just go ahead and jump in. Cool. So I am going to talk to you all today about mirror neurons and empathy. Mm. Um, sources for this are OBS, Wikipedia. Uh, always. Also, always. Uh, also, articles from Medical News Today, Psychology Today, the American Psychological Association, and a TED Talk by V. Ramachandran titled The Neurons That Shaped the World. Ooh. Yeah, this is... Mm, Maybe more, maybe more than any other episode we've done to this date, this is the one where I had to consciously prevent myself from falling down rabbit holes. Mm. Um, 
because it like every, everything I see is like talks about something that I was like, Ooh, well, what is that? And then that leads me to another yeah. article, which leads me to another, to another, to another. Well, you kept texting like, me stuff like through the weekend. <laughs> I know I'm really bad about that. I shouldn't text you anything so that everything can just, you can like have your reactions Be in real time. Yeah. Uh, but I get so excited about it. Cool. So to get started off, I'm like, what the hell is a neuron? So neurons are special cells that transmit neurochemical impulses and commands in our central nervous system, as well well as our muscles. So they're basically like the main communication system in our, in our human body. We have around, okay. I heard two different numbers for this. So I'm going to tell you both of them and any neuroscientist people out there, if you're listening, feel free to correct me. I heard 100 million. I also heard 100 billion. Wow. So we have one of those numbers. Uh, <laughs> that's the amount of neurons that we have in our brains and they're all connected. Like they're connected to each other. They're connected yeah. to other cells. They're connected. Like, yeah, it's our, it, they're like our main main frame, Right. Right in our body. Okay. So neurons are the things that let us react to our environment. So if you, the, there's a couple of examples that anytime you talk about neurons, they're going to be given. The big one is always, if you touch your hand to a hot stove, Mm. neurons are the things that are like, not only are they like, Oh, Hey, that hurts. They're also the things that activate your arm to pull away from the hot stove. Ah, okay. So it's, It's like sensation and action. Mm -hmm. So that brings us to mirror neurons. So mirror, like, you know, you're looking in a mirror. They're actually pretty new and wildly divisive. There's like a whole bunch of school of thoughts about what they mean and what they do and how important they are and where they've evolved from. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give you like an overview, right? And we're not going to get into everything because these guys get heated. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They really do. Also, I have to wonder if you are a scientist, I wonder how much emotion is tied to like the theories that you're trying to like prove or disprove. And like, it talks about how they get together and they talk about these things, right? Like they have these conventions or whatever, and they, they sit and debate mirror Mm -hmm. neurons, for instance. And I wonder if somebody's like, well, I think mirror neurons do this. And if there's another scientist that's like, well, I don't think that they do that. Is there, are they, does that hurt their feelings? Or are they like, <laughs> okay, cool. Tell me why. Yeah. I think I just wonder. <laughs> well, I was, I was just going to say like, it's, int- it's a little bit of digression, but like, you know, I grew up in Los Alamos around yes. scientists mm-hmm. and you know, like scientific method is like supposed to be, I have a hypothesis. You do an experiment to either prove or disprove the hypothesis Mm -hmm. if you prove it great but if you disprove it also great because that's like we have more information yeah right but i also know from knowing scientists that they get real like salty about like did not prove my hypothesis that doesn't mean that it's wrong like it's like people (laughs) latch on to things you know so there is a there is a human nature element to it Interesting. Okay, cool. So like I said, most of the stuff I'm going to be talking about here sort of falls into like one school of Mm -hmm. thought. And like I said, there are scientists who've been debating this stuff for decades, but not so many decades. So in 1996, a group of Italian scientists led by Giacomo Risolati and Vittorio Gagliesi made an interesting observation while studying the brains of monkeys. Using brain imaging technology, they noticed that there were cells in a particular area of the brain activated when a monkey performed an action like say grabbing a peanut and Mm -hmm. also fired off when they watched someone else grab a peanut Mm -hmm. and they were like hmm what's that about 
so there, and this group is actually the group that coined the term mirror neuron. Okay. Mirror neurons are super incredible or super, sorry. They're incredibly important in babies. It's how kids learn to speak right. with a fork, walk, all that kind of stuff. But mirror neurons go like, they're not just, so I, t- I talked about how they do them. Like they're the, they're the thing that makes you pull your hand back from the hot stove. So right. they're not just that. They're also the things that allow us to like cringe or wince when we see somebody get like hit with a baseball or something. Right. So those are the things that go, Ooh. Yeah. Also, if you watch somebody eat something sour and they like, they pucker mirror neurons are what make us do that as well. If you have ever seen somebody yawn and then also yawned, that's mm. mirror neurons at work. Okay. Yes. So the idea uh, of like yawns, or I would think also laughter, like they say yawning and laughter, are like contagious. That's the yes. Neurons. Yes. It's, cool. it's, yeah. I'll have, yeah. Oh. This, it's such a fascinating subject. Okay. All right. So in very, 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 very simplified terms, there are empathy communication control centers. Mm-hmm. So Giacomo Rizzolatti says, we are social, this is a quote, I'm sorry, quote, we are social beings. Our survival depends on our understanding the actions, intentions, and emotions of others. Mirror neurons allow us to understand other people's minds, not only through conceptual reasoning, but through imitation, feeling, not thinking. Mm -hmm. It is unclear, and this is a big topic of debate, it is unclear whether mirror neurons attach meaning to actions or whether they encode meaning in action. Hmm. Does that make sense? Because it took me a second Uh, to figure it out. Yeah, it's taking me a second too. (laughs) Yeah. So basically it's like they're trying to figure out if mirror neurons are the things that decide the meaning of things or if they're basically just recording data. Okay. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Yeah. That took me, I had to read that paragraph over yeah. and over because I was like, what the fuck does it mean? <laughs> um, okay. So another cool thing I'm going to be saying a lot of, I'm going to say cool things a lot during this, because again, I think it's fascinating. Cool thing about mirror neurons, they can make the distinction between meaningless gestures and pantomimes and actions with actual intent. So mm, interesting. Uh, so if I sit here and I scratch my nose, Scotty's seeing me, his mirror neurons fire at that. And they're the, they're the neurons that would fire if he was to scratch his own nose. Well, but if I did that and I just got <laughs> <it>. so. <laughs> mirror neurons at work. Yeah. But if I sit here and I do some kind of like meaningless gesture, yeah. Scotty will watch it. He, his brain will like receive the information, but his mirror neurons aren't firing because there isn't any intent behind the action. Right. So just so you guys know, Amelia just like, flapped our arms like a I did. weirdo and I had no compulsion to do the same thing. <laughs> yep. There we go. <laughs> okay. So super fascinating. And I think probably also for me, why I don't respond to pantomime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I obviously do to very, sorry guys, just a sidebar here. Uh, as somebody who's in the theater, I spent a long time, a lot of time watching auditions and there are always people in there who bring in monologues that are very task active. Like there's a lot of things that they are doing, a lot of tasks that they are doing in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they always want to pantomime them. And I'm always like, please stop. 
just don't do it. Yeah, just a pro tip, pro audition tips with Amelia. Don't pantomime. Okay, so brains. Mm -hmm. Our brains stopped growing in size, like developing in size, somewhere between three to 400,000 years ago. Oh, wow. So we have the exact same brain size, roughly three pounds, for the last several hundred thousand years. Okay. But around 75 to 100,000 years ago, there was the sudden rapid emergence of new skills that were unique to humans. That's fire, use of tools, mm. uh, language, and the ability to interpret behavior. Mm. Yeah. So why is this important? That idea that we, at somewhere along the way, and again, it's this rapid thing. It wasn't something that was like spending a lot of time. It sort of happened quickly. That takes our humans evolution from Darwinian evolution <laughs> to mm. Lamarckian evolution. Okay. Yeah. So Darwin, everybody knows Darwin. Yeah. You know, he's survival of the fittest. Well, if you don't, survival of the fittest, blah, blah, blah. Darwin says that evolution happened slowly over thousands of generations. Again, right commonly used example is giraffes. Right. This is what Darwin believes. Giraffes with slightly longer necks survived at a higher rate than giraffes with shorter necks so that finally all the short neck giraffes died, leaving only the long necked ones to procreate. Right. Lamarck theorizes or theorized he's dead. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Rest in peace. Uh, Lamarck theorized that giraffe's necks would lengthen a little over the span of that individual giraffe's lifetime, just from the repeated motion of like reaching for leaves on a tree. Mm -hmm. And that they would then pass on that slightly longer neck to their offspring and so on and so on and so on so until it's almost, you get. So it's almost like your behavior starts changing your DNA. Yes. A little bit. Oh, interesting. Yes. Lamarck's idea of which is so funny to me Lamarck's theory of evolution eventually like fell out of favor because people were like well if I pierce my ears that doesn't mean that my child has pierced ears when they die which mm. I uh, yes, Darwin's survival of the fittest theory went out and it's been proven that that traits are passed via genetics. Mm -hmm. But in the case of something like mirror neurons, where we have this like weird new burst of skills, this is called the great leap, this leap mm -hmm. that humans or whatever we were called back then, this like big thing that they did. We have, like I said, we have fire, we have tools, we have behavioral interpretation. And instead of having to develop our own, this is again an example. So instead of having to develop our own like weather resistant fur, like a polar bear, mm -hmm. we were able to watch our elders kill and skin a bear and wrap the fur around their bodies. Mm. So not only do we have these new skills that help us survive, we have a way to pass that knowledge, not only like down to our ancestors, but laterally through our own generation. So like if I'm like, oh, I can kill this bear and I can skin it, then I can teach you how to do that. And then we can both pass that information down. Okay. So quick, quick little interjection here. Yeah. Like this is making me think back to my Gobekli Tepe story yeah. from a few yeah. weeks ago, because it's that idea of the act of building this temple, coming together to build this temple, laying the foundation for the skills that would then go on to building a complex society. It like kind of all happens within a couple thousand years or a few yeah. thousand years so it's like yeah. that's a huge leap forward if you think of the human race having existed with our brains like you said not changing for about three hundred thousand years yeah the fact that civilization's only about 
10, 11,000 years old at most. Yeah. yeah, that definitely seems to like relate to what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. And I kept thinking about Gobekliatepe too. And I was researching this because I was like, oh my God, it's all, it's all intertwined. Yeah. All of that to say, we might be passing traits on via Darwinian evolution, but we're passing skills and information via a Lamarckian evolution That's type. crazy. I've never even heard of Lamarck, but I wanna, I'm want i going to go down that rabbit hole now. Yeah, I had to go and look him up because I was like, oh, was he one of my famous racists when, I, when we did the... <laughs> All these guys were super racist. Yeah. Yes, pretty much. But he actually, I'm sure, I'm honestly, I'm sure he was a racist because, you know, time uh, period. Yeah. The world, but he wasn't on my list of famous race, my, okay. my, my notable racists from so the Sarah like, Bartman we're, episode. We're putting a pin in Lamarck there. Got <laughs> we're watching you. Him. Yeah. <laughs> we're watching you, Lamarck. You piece of sh- okay you possible um, <laughs> racist <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have like racist watch it's like a new segment on the weirdest yeah. thing podcast okay so that's kind of what we're dealing with in the super rudimentary explanation of, of mirror neurons that's what's happening okay so mirror neurons and empathy okay so we have mirror neurons for action which is what i said is the thing that like makes your it's it sends the impulse to remove your hand from the hot stove mm-hmm. um we also have mirror neurons for touch so that means if somebody touches my hand mirror neurons will fire in mm-hmm. in my brain if i watch someone else's hand get touched a subset of those same mirror neurons will also fire so it's not all of them mm-hmm. but it's like a, it's a little chunk of them that'll like recognize that and will fire off mm-hmm. the neurons are empathizing with watching someone else's hand be touched. Hmm. So if the neurons are firing, why don't we feel it? This is again, super cool. Our skin is the one barrier that we have that protects that from happening. So we have receptors. So like if I, if I touch my hand, Mm -hmm. you don't feel it because your skin has a receptor in it. That's like, Hey, that's not happening to you. Don't worry. Relax. Chill out. Okay. But if I was to anesthetize your arm and mm-hmm. take away, put those little receptors in your skin, put them to sleep and to do the same action, you would literally feel it. Inhibiting those receptors in oh, the skin. Wow. Yeah. I want to try this now. Let's get some, <laughs> let's get some sedatives, <laughs> some <laughs> anesthesia and like do a little science experiment. <laughs> We'll go to my dad. We'll have him shoot us both up. Uh, I'm sure he'll be cool with it. (laughs) Sure. It's for science, dad. Um, (laughs) He's like, go to school. Um, uh, Okay. So in case anybody is like, that's not true. I've been anesthetized. I didn't, you know, that wouldn't happen. Blah, blah, blah. This is actually this, this thing, the use of, of like touching somebody else and all that stuff is used for when people have phantom limb pain, like amputees Mm. that have phantom limb pain. They set up a a way to view another person so that it is like they're viewing themselves. And that person will say like, if, if somebody has a pain in the palm of their phantom hand 
Mm-hmm. The person that they're watching will rub the spot in their own hand and the person with the phantom limb pain will feel relief wow. in watching that. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. Like it's and because phantom limb pain is actually like a very it is a very real thing. It happens mm-hmm. a lot. Things like itches and all of that stuff like they they still have phantom neurons are still firing, I guess. Right. And this is a way to treat all that. So crazy. Okay. All right. So these mirror neurons watch you do something and they attach or encode. We're not sure. Meaning Mm -hmm. onto that action, but it isn't just like an observance of it. Mirror neurons are adopting their own point of view on what they witness, what they observe. Mm. They create essentially like a virtual reality simulation and they does it like it dissolves the barrier between you and another human being. So this, okay. <laughs> the guy that I was talking about earlier who did the Ted talk, Ram, Ram, Ramachandran, I think that's how you say his name. He calls mirror neurons, Gandhi neurons or empathy neurons. And he says that the only thing that separates us from other human beings is our skin. That like mm-hmm. when you are in a room with a lot of people, it's like we're all just a chain of neurons that are like crackling along and right. reacting to each other. This is actually the basis for most Eastern philosophies that there is no independent self aloof mm-hmm. from and like merely observing other people, but rather, like I said, that we're all connected to everybody via this vast network of neurons. Well, that um, seems like, I mean, I'm not an expert on this, but it seems like also kind of related to like Jungian psychology, like the whole idea of the collective unconscious and stuff. Ooh, I don't I'd, know enough about be, that, but that'd be interesting. That'd be an interesting rabbit hole to explore. See if I'm there sure. is some connection there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wonder if social media has like fucked with mirror neurons Mm. because you're not like, you're not actually watching somebody you're looking at like text on a screen or whatever. So the thing that would allow you to empathize with somebody is like cut off because it's happening virtually. I don't know. I I have no idea. That seems to make sense because people are trying to figure out why is social media such a dumpster fire? Right. And like, why can like a generally nice person get on social media and turn into a total fucking garbage troll? Yeah. I mean, it seems like that's got to be related. Right. And I think it's been shown that people will say things online that if that person was in the room with them, they would never say, never, ever, ever say. And I wonder how much of it has to do with mirror neurons and like being able to in real time witness the reaction reaction and having your mirror neurons fire off at that kind of stuff too. I don't know. It's like easy to like get on some Twitter thread and call someone stupid and, Mm -hmm. you know, a communist or whatever. Right. But like when you're looking someone face to face and you see that your words hurt their feelings, like hopefully if you're a decent human being, like, you know, you don't want to hurt people's feelings, but it's easy to kind of forget that there's like another person. Right. Well, and I, I, I think that's an interesting thing too about mirror neurons is if I, like, I wonder, so in the Ted talk, the guy's basically like, Hey, the entire reason we have culture and humanity and all of that stuff is because of mirror neurons. Like they are what make us human. But I wonder if Again, hamster stopped running. Okay, fine. It's fine. (laughs) We'll move on. Okay. So all of this means that science and the humanities are nowhere near as independent as society have thought them to be. Right. Because 
to understand like the humanity of someone, there's a science to the understanding of a humanity of somebody. And the science of what makes somebody do something is deeply linked to a person's humanity. It's, it's, it's okay. It's nuts. All right. Our mirror neurons are the things that make it possible to decipher. This example got brought up a lot and I think it's super cool. So mirror neurons are the things that allow us to decipher. For example, if somebody is picking up a teacup to take a drink or to clear the teacup from the table. Hmm. Yeah. Like we, that's, that's the whole thing about like assigning intent. Like we're able to sort of not predict, but, uh, interpret interpret of like, oh, this person is going to go and like, this is what this person is going off to go do. Let's talk a little bit about empathy. So Mm -hmm. very quickly, sympathy versus empathy, most concisely explained by Brene Brown, who is awesome. If you are not unfamiliar with Brene Brown, she's got a great podcast called Unlocking Us. It's awesome. Okay. So she gives the whole example. You see someone at the bottom of a deep hole. Mm -hmm. Sympathy stays outside of the hole and says, everything will be okay. At least you're not dead. (laughs) Empathy gets in the hole and says, yeah, this sucks. Mm -hmm. So also a lot like the story that Leo tells Josh in that episode of the West Wing. Um, (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sympathy is sort of characterized by this silver lining, like trying to give something a silver lining. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas empathy is much more just an acceptance of like, yeah, this is. It's it's like, it's like, like I I talk about it a little bit in my writing classes. I won't go into the whole thing, but I, you know, talk about the difference between sympathy and empathy as a writer. Like, you know, it's not your job necessarily to sympathize with your characters as you're creating them, but you do have to empathize with them because like empathy is like, you've got to have a basic understanding of like their humanity, what drives them, why they do the things they do, even if the things they do are terrible. Like you don't have to sympathize. Like if you're right. And I always use the example, if you're writing a biopic of, like Adolf Hitler or someone like that. You don't Mm -hmm. have to sympathize with Adolf Hitler, but you do have to try and understand. Yeah. Brene Brown says sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy fuels connection. Mm. Yeah. Because sympathy is like, you're very aware of like, oh, I feel sorry for you over there dealing with what you're dealing with. your awful thing. Empathy is a thing of like, Like I'm I'm, sharing. I'm experiencing it with you. Yes. Interesting. That's a great, I'm going to remember that. Okay. All right, cool. Um, (laughs) That's all Brene Brown, not mine. Um, Scientists believe that there are three main types of empathy. Effective empathy, which is also called emotional empathy, and that's the capacity to respond with an appropriate emotion to another's mental state. This is based on emotional contagion, which is another rabbit hole that I was like, what is this? (laughs) Emotional contagion is the idea of having one person's emotions or related behaviors directly trigger similar emotions and behaviors in other. I am deeply Mm -hmm. susceptible to emotional contagion. Yeah, you've talked about that a lot. So that's the idea if you see someone crying, it like induces a feeling of wanting to cry with them. Yes. It's also the thing of, we have in fact talked about this a lot. If somebody comes into a room in a bad mood, Mm. it's, it's 
hard for me to ignore it and not, not just ignore it, but like not get into a bad mood myself. Right. Like internalize it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like other people's emotions are contagious for me. Right. Okay. So within effective empathy, it breaks down even further into empathetic concern, which is a sympathy and compassion for others in response to their suffering and personal distress. Sorry. Yeah. And personal distress. This is self-centered feelings of discomfort, discomfort and anxiety in responses to another's suffering. Right. Um, Kiddos under the age of two respond to the distress of another with their own distress. Right. After the age of two, kids begin to respond in other oriented ways. So they they try to help, comfort, they share, that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. That is also very funny to me. (laughs) That it's like, you're upset, I'm upset. I also, (laughs) I feel that deeply in my bones. I mean, this is assuming they're not shitty kids who are like, you're upset, so I'm going to hit you on the head with this truck to make you more upset. Right. Yeah. Yes. We've all known those kids. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So uh, the second type is called cognitive empathy, and that is the capacity to understand another's perspective or mental state. Mm. That's perspective taking, which is spontaneously adopting another's psychological perspectives, fantasy, the tendency to identify with fictional characters, and tactical or strategic empathy, which is the deliberate use of perspective taking to achieve certain desired results. Mm. I bet like people who are really good at sales and that kind of stuff have like tactical, strategic empathy. That would make sense. Absolutely. Yeah. This is another one that also can kind of get me in trouble because it's very easy for me to see if I'm having a conversation with you about something that happened to you and you are upset about it, it will be very easy for me to get upset with you. Mm -hmm. If I talk to the person who did something that made you upset and they're explaining how they were also upset, I will also be able to see their side. Mm-hmm. It sort of can seem like I'm doing lip service, but I'm like, right. But I'm honestly like, no, I see it. Like I see where you're coming from. Right. There was a 2019 meta analysis, which suggests that people are generally not able to accurately assess their own cognitive empathy abilities. Mm, yeah. Okay. This also, I think goes into, I saw a study that had been done about flirting and it was like you know how good are people at recognizing when they're being flirted with mm-hmm. not only was everybody unequivocally bad at it when it was like when they were the recipient of it mm-hmm. they couldn't tell when they were watching other people do it to other people i mean like, i nobody understands what flirting I, is. <laughs> I never know when i'm being flirted with like i'll find out four years later it's like oh yeah so-and-so she was super into you and i was like what she's like yeah she she thought she was like landed on thick and i'm like i had no idea yeah yeah, yeah. we're not apparently humans are just right. not good at at that. I mean, I which... think I'm I'm uniquely bad at it, but I think <laughs> <laughs> but it makes me good to know that everyone sucks at this. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. Everybody sucks at this. Okay. And then the third is somatic empathy. Okay. And that is a physical reaction. So it's feeling somebody else's pain physically. And that is probably most likely deeply based on mirror neurons in the mm-hmm. somatic nervous system. Mm-hmm. Also something that I I was going to say, that's something you've talked, because you've asked me, like you were just asking me over the weekend, like if I see someone get hit in the face, do I feel, and it's like, no, I don't. If I see someone get hit in the balls, like I'll cringe a little, but like, but I don't have that physical 
sensation that I think you get. Well, and it's interesting because, and this ties in a teeny little bit with what your story, somewhat tangentially with your story, Mm -hmm. but there's uh, something called mirror touch synesthesia, Mm -hmm. um, which is that people like can watch someone get like, like if, if I had mirror touch synesthesia and somebody slapped Scotty across the face, I would feel that on my face. Yeah. I'm going to mention that, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're whatever their little like skin receptors are that have that they're that's like a little wonky. I don't have that, but, and it's very, it's like, it's localized in like, it goes up, it goes up my arms and across my chest. Mm -hmm. That's where I feel it. So when I watch, like if I watch somebody and this is awful too, because I I do unfortunately find people falling down very funny, but (laughs) if I've watched somebody like eat it, like fall down a set of stairs on their face or like fall. Ooh, the worst are like, uh, ooh, videos of people when they fall down, like skateboarding mm-hmm. and they like drag it. Uh, that is, it's a very <laughs> well, strong sensation. I mean, it's funny, like the little aside here, autobiographical aside, like this is how mm-hmm. you and I became friends was like laughing. It was the, what was it? The go black video, the little girl. <laughs> She like she forgets she's holding her dog's leash and she throws <sighs> the ball and is like go and yeah. then the dog runs and she just face plants. Like we watched that when we were shooting Sid, we watched it over and over, over and over and over up. again. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's you. I mean, she's kind of from the back, and you just sort of see her fall, and you can tell that she falls forward onto her face. I would be willing to bet that if that video was from another angle, I'd be like, Mm-mm. well, like I follow on Instagram. I follow all these. Like, there's uh, one called "Kids Getting Hurt," which is just kid- it's like versions of the Go Blaff video. Yeah, but there's also like. Wicked slams and I think <sighs> America's got no talent. And it's just people like hurting themselves doing stupid shit. Oof. And some of them are really funny, but like you're right. Like the skateboarding ones are like someone like trying to do a trick on a bike and then Mm-mm. like like those are a little more like, ugh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very like it's a very weird thing. And again, I think one of those things that I thought everybody just felt and and I and I have no idea like I have mm-hmm. I have no idea whether or not people feel this in the way that I do or not um, I mean I think you're definitely more susceptible than I am maybe I don't know so slightly related to all of this is something called elixithemia and it's the subclinical inability to identify and describe emotions experienced by oneself or others mm-hmm. okay characterized by a marked dysfunction in emotional awareness, social attachment, and interpersonal relation. Mm. Trouble distinguishing and appreciating the emotions of others leading to empathetic and ineffective responses. Okay. There are people who just can't process emotions. Mm -hmm. It's it's not that they, you know, have been socially conditioned to not do it or whatever. It's just their brain is like, I don't know what that is. So is this really, I want to be careful with this because mm-hmm. I don't want to slander anyone, but is this like related to sociopathy and psychopathy? All of these things start to get intertwined, but alexithymia is not necessarily present in all sociopaths and psychopaths. Okay. Okay. Because it is an actual like it, they it just doesn't like it just doesn't. That's so rather than being hole. like a personality disorder, it's literally like your your 
your brain's just not processing the information. Yeah. The same way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So alexithymia occurs in only about 10% of the population with a number of psychiatric conditions and you can find it in any neurodivergent disorder. I'm sorry, neurodevelopment disorder. Okay. So like, yes and no for your question. Okay. When it is found in men who conform to Western cultural notions of masculinity, it can be called normative male alexithymia. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Which I think is just, it's, uh, gosh, that's, it, again, fascinating. Okay, so here. Like, that sounds like its own rabbit hole. Yeah, it is It, it is legit. And again, that's why it was like, you know, bup, 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 and it just, right. again, I'm, I'm sitting there with like 97 tabs open on my computer. <laughs> okay, so some cool facts about mirror neurons and empathy. Studies suggest that cetaceans, that's whales, dolphins, porpoises, mm-hmm. they have more spindle cells and those are the nerve cells that convey empathy. They have more spindle cells in their brains than humans do. Hmm. Meaning that the, you know, all of those are highly social animals. They have huge awareness of each other's feelings. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They talk, they talk about, you know, people who've been attacked by sharks and a pod of dolphins will come along to the rescue. It's spindle, like spindle cells. Yeah. I was going to ask, cause there's like the stories of like dolphins rescuing people. So they're like, not only empathizing with their own distress, they can empathize with the distress of other species. That's crazy. So yeah. maybe we shouldn't keep them in cages and SeaWorld. Just well, to... and also, and that's another thing when you start to think of like, what was the documentary Blackfish? Blackfish, yeah. That's not an accident. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mirror neurons, both mirror neurons and empathy have a lot to do with something called theory of mind. Another mm. massive massive rabbit hole that you can fall into. Also theory of mind is not the same thing as philosophy of mind. I'm not going to talk about philosophy of mind in this episode because it's a whole other thing, but theory of mind, it involves the ability to understand that other people may have beliefs that are different from one's own. Okay. That seems like something we may be losing as a culture, but anyway, go ahead. Possibly. So they do, they study this in kids. It's something called, okay. So that it's, um, what are they? called i guess it's it's no they're called false false beliefs false beliefs tests that they give to kids and that tests for like neurodivergencies Mm. the most popular one of these is a test as a test called the sally ann test and it's a little drawing and it shows a little girl and it says this is sally sally has a basket and then it shows another little girl and says this is ann ann has a box sally also has a marble sally puts the marble into her basket sally leaves Anne takes the marble out of Sally's basket and puts it into her box. When Mm. Sally comes back, where should she look for her marble? Mm. People who understand this sort of like false, uh, like who have the, like the cognitive ability to attribute false beliefs to others understand that while the mar, we know because we've seen it, that the marble is in Anne's box. Sally will look for the marble in her basket. Mm. Yeah. People who don't get that will be like, she'll look for it in the box because they assume that Sally has the information that we have. I see. That's interesting. So studies suggest that women, sorry to say guys, that women are better at recognizing facial effects, expressing expression 
processing and emotions in general, where men tend to be better at recognizing specific behavior, uh, which includes like anger, aggression, Hmm. threatening cues that I think what this means is a woman will be able to sit there and be like, Hey, this is like, I'm like, I'm getting a weird feeling about this, that like, or this person is upset or whatever. Whereas a guy is able to pick up on the cues of when somebody else is about to throw a punch. Ah, yeah. I think that's what that means. Yeah. Women also did a bit better in reading of the mind tests and nonverbal emotional recognition. So that's a little Mm. bit of like, yeah, like, like I can, I can tell what's going on. I can tell like what you're thinking or what you're feeling. Right. Men, men didn't do so good in that stuff. (laughs) Um, Interestingly also fMRI studies have shown that women have larger gray matter volumes in posterior inferior frontal and anterior inferior parietal cortex areas, which are correlated to mirror neurons. Okay. So like we just have some more stuff going on in there. Yeah. (laughs) Again, Sorry. Uh, sorry, fellas. Uh, women also tend to have a stronger link between emotional and cognitive empathy. I, okay, so everything that I'm reading about all this stuff is talking very much using a binary of men versus women. Mm-hmm. I would love to know if there's any research or studies into this stuff having to do with either trans or gender expansive folks versus mm-hmm cis folks yeah and my my guess would be there's probably like, just not a lot of research yet well and two it's one of those things where it's like there were definitely like trans people in these groups but right but they maybe they, weren't being classified right. or separated right or, yeah right and so yeah like i would love to know if a trans woman also displays these mm-hmm. things. I like, oh, I just would be, I would be fascinated to know. Yeah. Well, I mean, cause uh, that may be part of like the gender expression, you know, yep. of a trans person. They may have the mirror neuron. Um, what would the word be expression that like a uh-huh. cis woman does. And that's part of, I, that would be, that would be fascinating to like yeah. have research on that. Yeah. I yeah. would love to know that. So any scientists out there, hop on it. Yeah. Um, if you can give me some <laughs> research, I'll buy you a bag of peanut M&Ms and we'll call it even. <laughs> There's data that shows that people with smaller amygdalas are more likely to present as sociopaths. I've and read some, that, yeah. Mm-hmm, and some speculate that this might be in part due to them having fewer mirror neurons in that mm-hmm. area. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Mirror neurons can be directly related to addiction. There is a lot Mm. of mirror neuron in an area of the brain called the insula. And the insula is usually associated with the processing of physical sensations. So they did a little test of patients with an addiction to nicotine who had an injury to the insula. I don't know what that means. I don't know if they were like, hey, we're going to get in there and injure your insula or if they (laughs) happen to have. <laughs> just like ting, 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 tapped yeah. it. Give you uh, a lobotomy ooh. just so I can test yeah. this. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Ah, okay. So when they, when they did this study with patients with addiction to nicotine who had injuries to the insula, studies showed that these patients just kind of forgot to smoke. Hmm. It Interesting. Just, yeah. The, the urge, the addiction gone. Well, shit. I'm a, I should go and injure my, whatever it's called. Yeah. <laughs> 
Get off I'll do it to you. <laughs> I'll do it to you for a bag of peanut M and M's. I don't even like peanut M and M's. Okay, mirror neurons have been like heavily studied in infants. Parent infant interactions heavily influence development with an emphasis on infant social development in the first two months of a baby's life. Yeah. Foundations for empathy get laid in those early years. Having said that, maternal depression can have a big effect on a baby. Mm. Meaning that if a baby spends a lot of time looking at a sad face, that mm. baby will begin to imitate the sad face. Mm. Isn't that so nutty? Yeah, and that's really sad. I mean, yes. it makes sense. It 100% but. makes sense. Also, this is not a like, so be happy moms, but more rather a call to make sure that new mothers have the support and resources they need to deal right. with things like postpartum depression. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it doesn't, it's not just affecting the mother. It could be affecting the child. Yeah. There are a lot of studies that are trying to see if there's a connection between mirror neurons and neurodivergent people, specifically people on the autism spectrum of disorders. Mm -hmm. One of the big questions is whether atypical mirror neuron mechanism activity generates rather than merely accompanies autism spectrum disorders. Right. So people are still trying to figure out if abnormal mirror neuron activity is a symptom of autism or the cause yeah. of autism. Um, that seems important to know. Yeah. And there's a lot of, it's a very like the scientists out there that are like mirror neurons are not as important as we think they are. Like they're a part, but they're not that big of a thing. Like it's a, it's a, that's a big thing that they talk about. Additionally, I think they want to be careful about sort of labeling anybody who might be on the spectrum as like broken. Right. Like you are like this because your your neurons are broken. Right. It may be less of a like there's something wrong and more of like, well, let's understand the differences. Yeah. So that's that's kind of like all I have. Again, I'm sort of fascinated with all of this stuff because I, I think like 100% self-diagnosed. I think I have a pretty significant mix of effective cognitive and somatic empathy. Talking about a little bit before I'm a sponge, I like people's emotions are very contagious I think for me I mean I think we're both you and I both are fairly empathetic people I think you feel it more than me like I I have a I, I have a tendency to have like a intellectual empathy mm-hmm with people, but I don't necessarily, like, it it doesn't affect me in, like, a gut emotional level as much, I think, as it does you. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, like, through reading this, it's interesting, right? Because it's, like, I am intellectually aware of another person's feelings, emotions, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. I'm also, like, emotionally aware of it. And then the third layer, which is the thing that makes me be, like, uh uh-oh, is that I feel physically feel it and again it's not Mm -hmm. like oh you're sad in your face so i feel sad in my face (laughs) (laughs) um it's yeah it's it's a it's an actual like physical feeling of it so i had messaged a dear friend of mine who is one of the true here's another thing a lot of people want to be like oh i'm an empath and i'm like you're not an empath you're just like an attuned human being right like you're you're not an asshole i have a couple of friends that are honest to god true empaths yes and i messaged her to ask her if she had a physical sensation when watching stuff you know ask basically the same that i asked you like can you feel it do you feel it not necessarily do you feel it in the same place but do you does it is it 
it accompanied with a physical sensation. Right. And she said, no, she has much more of an emotion. Like it upsets her. Like watching people get hurt is emotionally upsetting to her. Mm -hmm. And she, I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. She had an injury, a pretty significant injury to her ankle when we were in college. Mm -hmm. And that is the one thing that she will twinge on, which is also why I asked you about the thing about getting, like seeing somebody get kicked in the balls. I'm wondering if there is something in that that is like, I have experienced that. Mm -hmm. And so it is sort of like a sense memory of the injury. I mean, it's like that almost, and I want to be careful. Like I'm just talking a little bit like glibly here, but Uh like it's almost like a PTSD response. Mm. Cause like I have been, I remember very vividly being kicked on the balls when I was a kid. In fact, I'm Facebook friends with the girl who did it. And I kind of pointed out to her recently. I was like, that is a very important lesson that I learned in the second grade. Mm. Like, this is why not to be an asshole because you might get kicked on the balls. Cause she like fucking nailed me. But I like, if I see someone get hit in the face with a baseball, uh, I'm more likely to laugh than I am to watch someone get hit in the balls. Because mm-hmm. that does, that's the closest I come to having like a actual physical like reaction. I mean, I've never fall, but, and that's, what's weird to me is that I have never fallen off of a skateboard. Mm-hmm. I have never, like, there's a lot of things. We were recently sent a video of a guy sitting in a chair in a yard and another guy is standing on the roof of the house and rolls a tire, like a tire, like a I think it was a tire and the wheel. I think it had the mm-hmm. rolls it off of the roof yeah. and the guy sitting in the chair is like going to catch it, I guess. It and it just, <laughs> yeah. And it just did some damage to his hand. And I like, I saw it start to happen and I was like, nope. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing for me too, is that I, whether I'm watching videos of like, whether I'm watching images of the stuff actually happening or watching it in a movie, the curb stomp in American History X. Ooh, I've never pretty, been able to watch it. That I wouldn't say I had a physical reaction to that, but that is that's a rough scene yeah. to watch. Like, yep. Yeah, like my 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 brain, I don't know how well my brain distinguishes between like real and not real, which makes me like a great audience member. <laughs> 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 like suspension, uh, you know, when when it's when it's earned, suspension of disbelief is really easy for me. Mm-hmm. Like there's not anything with me that's like, well, that's anything with that. It, also, I think is a big factor in my own work as an actor. Um, For sure, yeah. Because I don't have a hard time. You know, you were talking about the empathizing, you know, empathizing with Hitler type of thing. And like that, I know a lot of people who struggle to connect with characters that are nothing like them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is at, at the very least not as big of a challenge for me as it is for other people. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that is very much a chicken or the egg type of thing. I don't know if I am in the line of work that I am because I already had those skills or those tools or if those tools were honed because of what I went into. Well, it might yeah. be a combination of the two, too. Like it could one be. sort of feeds the other. Kind of thing. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, so that's mirror neurons and empathy. And, you know, I like to sort of finish up the fact that mirror neurons were really only discovered in the 90s is yet another example of how little we actually know and understand about the human brain. Right. Well, and that's going to come up in my story a little bit because, so I guess I'll just dive right in. Sure. So I'm talking today about various forms of synesthesia. Yay. 
one in particular that I'm going to mostly focus on. But at doing the reading on this, it becomes pretty clear that people don't understand what synesthesia is, why yeah. it happens, yeah. what causes it. You know, there's various theories. So I'm going to go through it here. Now, I am going to say I have a few sources, of course, Wikipedia, mm-hmm. as always. Um, also, an article called From the Words of an Albino, A Brilliant Blend of Color. <laughs> by Maria Konnikovas from Scientific American in February 2013. Mm-hmm. A Medium article called My Number of Friends and Their Personalities by a woman named Caitlin O'Malley. That's from March of 2017. And then just a little list verse article called Ted and Disadvantages to Synesthesia mm. uh, from 2012. Now, like one thing that's fascinating about this, I'm going to, and I'll, Go ahead and preface this by saying, like, this is actually one of the least research-heavy stories I've done for the podcast because okay. <laughs> I actually mostly want to talk about my own personal experience because, okay. spoiler alert, I actually am someone with synesthesia, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But also, as I was doing research, it's just so clear that, like, no one knows what the fuck it is. Or, like, yeah, because you read one thing one place, and then you try and, like, follow it up, and someone else, like, totally disagrees, yep. you know? So it's, like all over the place it seems very you know people have known about synesthesia for a long time but people really don't seem to understand it mm-hmm. so okay so just a definition of synesthesia what it is so literally it means union of the senses from the greek root they think it affects about four percent of the population and there's various types of synesthesia and i'm gonna mm-hmm. some of them the definition from wikipedia is uh it says it's a perceptual phenomenon in which stimulation of one sensory or cognitive pathway leads to involuntary experiences in a second sensory or cognitive pathway so this is from the Maria Konnikova article from Scientific American. This is a quote. Mm-hmm. It says, synesthesia means literally a cross-mingling of the senses. When two or more senses talk to each other in a way that is not usually associated with either sense on its own. For instance, you see color when you listen to a song on the radio. Or you taste shapes as you take a bite of your spaghetti. Wah. Frown at the three <laughs> on that piece of paper because it's giving you attitude. It seems irritable. Smile at the woman you just met because her name comes with a beautiful orange glow. The variations are many, but in every scenario, there is a sensory crosstalk that reaches to a neural level. As in, if I were to put you in a scanner while you took that bite or listened to that musical composition, the relevant areas of the brain would light up. Your brain would actually be experiencing color, shape, or whatever you say you're experiencing as if you were exposed to that very stimulus. So basically what this means is like if you taste something... Like, Mm -hmm. say, you take a bite of spaghetti, Mm -hmm. that's going to light up certain parts of your brain. Mm -hmm. If you see the color red, that's going to light up a different part of your brain. Mm -hmm. Someone with synesthesia, who are known as synesthetes, which I Mm -hmm. really like, both of those areas of their brain will light up. So it's it's a physical neural reaction. It's Mm -hmm. not an imaginary thing. It's actually in the neurology, and that's important to understand. Okay. Another thing that's important to understand about synesthesia is it's not a disorder or a mental illness. Like most people with various forms of synesthesia, like are fine. You know, being able to uh, taste a color, mm-hmm. like doesn't that sounds in- fucking cool. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily impact your life in a negative way. Right. From what I read, like I, I did get on like some various Reddit message boards and things like that, and I, it does sound like for some people it can be kind of overwhelming. But I think. I think that's more like the exception than the rule. 
Right. I listened to the the first time I'd ever heard of, no, this isn't true. I'd started to hear about synesthesia, but the first time I heard about mirror touch that synesthesia was Mm. in an episode of the podcast Invisibilia, I think. And it was a woman who had pretty significant mirror touch synesthesia to the point where she like they didn't have a dining table in their home she was she was married she had children mm-hmm. they didn't have a dining table in her home because if she was around other people that were eating at the same time that she was it felt like like food was being shoved into her own mouth force fed Interesting. yes yeah. yeah and see that's where like some of the different synesthesias having read through the list i'm not gonna go through all i'm just gonna t- touch on some of the more like kind of more known ones Mm -hmm. but some of them like the mirror touch one that does seem like i could see how that could be debilitating Mm -hmm. if it was at a certain level well and she she had a a teenaged daughter who it's really funny because she the teenage daughter when they were interviewing her seemed kind of it wasn't like she was pessimistic it seemed like she was a little like mad Mm. about her mom having the synesthesia and they talked to her about it a little bit. And then at some point in the episode, she talks about how she's going to go hang out with some friends or something. And I think the interviewer is like, are you going to a party? And she's like, no, I can't really go to parties. And they're mm. like, why not? And she was like, uh, being around like people that are drunk. Mm. And it was then that the interviewer was like, oh, you have at least a little bit of this. Yeah. And that that is why she was like so irritated with her mom for having it. Ah, interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the earliest recorded case of synesthesia, this is from Wikipedia. It says uh, it's attributed to the academic and philosopher John Locke, Mm -hmm. who in 1690, he made a report about a blind man who said he experienced the color scarlet when he heard the sound of a trumpet. But there's a disagreement about whether Locke was actually describing an actual synesthesia or whether it was just like a metaphor. But I don't know. That sounds pretty specific to me. Like That's the color specific. scarlet, the sound of a trumpet. That sounds like a synesthesia to me. Yeah. And then the first medical account of synesthesia comes from a German physician named Georg, Georg, maybe? Tobias Ludwig Sachs it's from 1812. So this is that article, the Maria Konnikova article about the mm-hmm. albino. Is Sachs himself was an albino, and his younger sister by 12 years also was an albino. So he went on as a physician to study albinism because mm-hmm. at this time they didn't really understand what it was. So he wrote an 1812 doctoral dissertation that was titled A Natural History of Two Albinos, the Author and His Sister. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is in the paper, he also describes his own synesthesia. And what he describes is essentially a combination of what you we would call grapheme color synesthesia and mm-hmm. chromesthesia. So I'll get to you in a second what those mean. So like I said, people don't really know how synesthesia develops. You know, they're doing some, it doesn't sound like there's really a lot of research being done on this subject, Yeah. but the research that is being done, they really have not kind of narrowed it down yet. Mm. Seems like it probably has something to do with mirror neurons, particularly with the touch one, but here's sort of like the closest that they can determine at this point. They, they think it comes from childhood development, specifically when children are introduced to abstract concepts for the first time. So this is what's called the semantic vacuum hypothesis, which basically says why most common forms of synesthesia are graphing color, spatial sequence, and number form. Usually the first abstract concepts that children learn are 
around spatial sequences, numbers, colors, etc. So they think something in that development as children are learning about these abstract concepts creates this kind of crosstalk that happens in the brain. Oh, okay. um, but the thing is, once it happens, it kind of gets locked in. Like you're just like, once you have developed one of these forms of synesthesia, chances are you're, you're going to have it for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Now, there's also a lot of disagreement on what exactly counts as a synesthesia, and a lot of things are kind of lumped in. So I'm going to, like I said, I'm only really going to go through some of the more kind of commonly understood ones, because there was like a list of like 30 or 40. And like, Oh, wow. Okay. And, and like a lot of it is like kind of debatable. What's probably the most common, although a lot of this they don't know because, you know, the research is still very new on this, uh, but probably the most common synesthesia is something called grapheme color synesthesia. This is where individual letters of the alphabet and numbers are sort of tinged or shaded with color. Mm -hmm. So while different individuals usually do not report the same colors for all letters and numbers, studies with large numbers of synesthetes find some commonalities across letters. So for people who have this graphing color, it seems Mm -hmm. more common that like the letter A tends to be associated with the color red. Mm, Okay. But that that is not, they're just saying- That's not like a hard and fast rule. Yeah, it's like they're seeing some statistical commonalities, but they don't know for sure how many or how common that really is. Okay. Now, I, I'll get to it in a minute, but I have a little touch of this graphing color. Okay. Synesthesia myself. Chromesthesia, which is associating sounds with colors. So this is like <sighs> the sound of a trumpet triggering the color scarlet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sound of a car horn may be blue where a baby crying might be purple. What's important to know is that they people who have uh, chromesthesia literally see the color. <sighs> So it's not like the sound of a car horn makes me think of the color blue. It's literally the sound is blue. Oh, okay. Yeah. it's it's, so cool. It's a little hard to wrap your head around if you don't. Yeah. And I hope that this is not an improper thing, but that just sounds so cool. Yeah. I I imagine that like in a city like New York or something, it might be like, oh. Yeah, that one. Chromesthesia in particular, yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. Like, that's the one I'm like, oh, that sounds neat. And then I think about living in Manhattan and I'm like, oh, yeah. that sounds overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. Now, people with chromesthesia, it seems like they're most often triggered by music. So these color associations mm-hmm. are most often triggered by music. There's something called spatial sequence synesthesia. So this is interesting. This is people see numerical sequences as points in space. So like someone may, if you say the number one followed by the number two, they'll see one as maybe being closer than the number two is like further away in space. Interesting. Now they may also see months and specific dates as sort of floating points in space as well. Sort of like the time on a clock. Like, you know, they'll Mm -hmm. see numbers in like a circle, like on a clock, something like that. There is evidence that people with the spatial sequence synesthesia might actually have better memories than your average person. So in one study, people with uh, spatial sequence synesthesia were able to recall past events and memories far better and with far greater detail than those without the condition. But I think it's like one study. So this needs a lot more research. Right. And then there's auditory tactile synesthesia, which sounds produce physical sensations. So hearing a specific word may feel like a touch on your body. Okay. Um, another word makes you may feel pleasure or pain. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it makes me think of like how people cringe when they hear the word moist. <laughs> like I just imagine someone, <laughs> with, 
<laughs> auditory tactile synesthesia. You say the word moist and maybe they feel like someone's licking them. Ew. Yeah. I just had a friend recently who discovered what their like ugh, word, what their version of moist <laughs> was. I won't say who it was, but the word was throb. Mm. So if that friend is listening, I'm very sorry that I just did that to you. Uh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then, Scotty, don't be a dick. Um, <laughs> but yeah, As we there, have already established, I have less empathy than you. So. Yes, yeah. So there we go. You saw it play out in real time. Uh, yeah, which just made me made me laugh. Yeah. Now, this auditory tactile synesthesia, they think, is one of the least common forms of synesthesia. And then I, I thought I wrote it down, but what was the one you were talking about, which is the... The touch, mirror touch synesthesia. Mirror, mirror touch synesthesia. Yeah. That's another one that I read about that also, from what I understand, is less common. So ASMR, mm. is that a form of synesthesia? You know, I did not think to look that up, but mm, that's a okay. fascinating question. I'll bet, I'll bet there's got to be a connection there. Okay. So that actually sounds like it probably has something to do with the auditory tactile synesthesia. Yeah, because from, so from my understanding, you know, there's a lot of ASMR videos and podcasts and all sorts of stuff. It, like if you, if you put in ASMR into like YouTube, you'll get a ridiculous amount of, mm-hmm. of stuff. But my understanding that people who actually like respond to ASMR, it is a physical feeling. It's like a tingling along the right. scalp and spine. Yeah. Um, so that, which is that, interesting. that makes me think it probably is related. Um, I didn't right. look it up. I'm actually just, just a little sidebar. Uh-huh. Little, uh, little uh, log rolling for myself here. I actually have a <laughs> short story that is on an ASMR podcast. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, it's, called, it's a podcast called Scare You to Sleep. And it's mm. a woman who reads scary stories, but in a way that's meant to like trigger an ASMR response. So it's like an Ooh, ASMR cool. slash spooky story kind of creepypasta type. Ooh. Really cool. Check it out. Okay. Scare You to Sleep. And my story is on uh, an episode. I can't remember the number. I think it's episode 126. It's called Filth. Another question. I wonder how or if like misophonia is connected to <laughs> this kind of stuff as well. Misophonia, for anybody who doesn't know, this is a very, again, like gas station definition. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that means. Uh, yeah. This is a non-scientific um <laughs> <laughs> definition of it but misophonia is like people who they, they 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 can't stand to hear other like people chewing so i know that there are people who have misophonia who they like they cannot be around asmr stuff because so much of it is people like slurping noodles drinking drinking beverages yeah there's a woman out there who eats pickles she's fantastic but it like it it is i think i saw somewhere that misophonia is physically either painful or uncomfortable i just for, looked for- it up Okay. Um, so here's the definition of misophonia. This is from Wikipedia. It says misophonia, meaning quote, hatred of sound is a proposed neurological condition in which certain sounds trigger emotional or physiological responses. Others may deem unreasonable reactions to trigger sounds range from anger and annoyance to activating a fight or flight response. Ooh. The condition is sometimes called selective sound sensitivity syndrome. So common triggers include oral sounds like loud breathing, chewing, swallowing, clicking sounds, and sounds associated with movement like fidgeting. 
Oftentimes, hated sounds are repetitive in nature. Although the condition was first proposed in 2000, it has yet to be considered a diagnosable condition. Misophonia is not classified as an auditory or psychiatric condition, and so is different from phonophobia, which is the fear of sound. There are no standard diagnostic criteria, and there's little research on how common it is or the treatment. So it doesn't say anything about it being a synesthesia, but it seems likely that it could be related in some way. Maybe. Yeah, that would be interesting to know. But again, apparently we know fuck all about the brain, so. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm like, this was, they've only discovered this in 2000, so this is very new. Yeah. And then, of course, there's ordinal linguistic personification. So before I go into this, do you want to tell the story about how we discovered this? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, this must have been somewhere in 2019. I think so. Yeah, it's pretty recent. So I was uh, scrolling through Twitter and found this incredible thread, which I stupidly did not bookmark. But this woman was saying that she had, I guess, is is it this type of synesthesia? No, she had okay. a different one. She, okay. had, she had the one where she could taste people's names. Yes. So yeah. she she said that, and I, again, we can't, I can't remember what kind of synesthesia it is, but she was like, I have this kind of synesthesia. I can like people's names have a flavor. So put your name in the comments and I'll tell you what you taste like. That would probably just sidebar real quick. That would probably be auditory tactile synesthesia. But okay, anyway, cool. Continue. So, you know, people were like, Jennifer, Charles, Simon. And she was like, you taste like caramel. You taste. Okay. This was a super interesting thing to me is that there was like, you taste like caramel. You taste, you taste like cake. You taste like grass. Then there were also things where she was like, you taste like a wet manhole cover. (laughs) Yeah. Like very specific. Yeah. You taste like a dirty button. Yeah. You taste. (laughs) A dirty button. Yeah. Yeah. The one that I saw that I was like, what the fuck was she was she told somebody she was like you taste it was something like you taste like a sad eyeball like it was something <laughs> yeah. like that i was like I remember what that does that mean um no i think it was a salty eyeball i think it was a salty eyeball mm. so i am texting scotty about this because i'm just delighted in this whole thread and i think it's fascinating and i go on to tell him that someone in the comments has said that they have a particular type of synesthesia wherein they to them letters and numbers i believe mm-hmm. have personality traits and scotty <laughs> in your in your infinitely like grumpy fashion scotty or like skeptical fashion scotty goes that's like not even a thing like everybody does that and i was like mm, no they don't yeah. and scotty like this again all happening via text and scotty's like what and i was like scotty i don't i don't do that like n- letters and numbers don't have personalities for me and scotty was like do i have synesthesia and i was like i think you do yeah. and so that that's so how we discovered it well yeah specifically because you were like you were like oh and, it, and it's you like you were listing off all the different synesthesias that people were saying and you were like oh and one person says like like letters and numbers have genders and personalities and i was yep. very much like that's that's normal. Like everyone does that. You were like, yeah. um, nope. Yeah. And, and I then think I was like, you... wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I think you literally were like, are you serious? And I was yeah. like, I don't. And I had to think about it, it for a sec, right? I had to like step back and be like, hold on. Is this something that is so ingrained in me that I, I have never noticed? But I was like, you know, think of the letter A. And I was like, 
Nope. No, it's yeah. a letter. So I started, I went down this rabbit hole and this is, this is going to be the autobiographical part of this, uh, mm-hmm. this podcast is I discovered that I have a fairly, I think, intense form of what's called ordinal linguistic personification. Okay. So it's a form of synesthesia where ordered sequences such as numbers, days, months, and letters are associated with personalities and or genders. It does have some similarity and crossover with grapheme color synesthesia. And like I said, I do have a touch of that myself. So to test whether someone has ordinal linguistic personification, the testers would ask the synesthete whether common names like Brian or Betsy are male or female names. The results demonstrate the personifications are automatically evoked as our other form of synesthesia because what would happen, like if, like, so if you asked me, and I'll get into it, like the letter B to me is female. If you're like, is Brian or Betsy a male or female name? Words always have the gender that the first letter has for me. Okay. So if you say, is Brian a male name? I would have to think about it because no, B is a female. Like B is a girl. The letter Uh B is literally a girl. So I have to like make this extra step before I say, no, Brian is a male name. If that makes sense. It does. It does. Um, And then it says, in a slightly different task, this is from Wikipedia, it's a quote, in a slightly different task in which letters that evoke either male or female personifications are arranged into a stick figure of either a boy or a girl, reaction times are slower when the letters do not match the figure than when they do. Again, demonstrating the automaticity of this form of synesthesia. So the thing to be aware of is like this isn't my imagination doing this because Mm -hmm. it's not like i decided that the letter b is a girl since i can remember letter the letter b is a girl with a very distinct personality um since i was a very small child one study in 2016 led by a professor julia simner showed subtle differences in the white matter structure in the brains of people with ordinal linguistic personification compared with control subjects. So these harmless differences were in five clusters. And and then it like gets into a bunch of like fucking brain shit. I don't understand. So it's in the pre post central gyrus dorsal corticospinal tract and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But it says basically these regions play roles they think in social responsiveness. So there's mm-hmm. some connection there. Okay. So that's what ordinal linguistic personification is. So like, I'm just gonna talk about like my experience with it a little bit. Okay. So letters, numbers, colors, months, and days of the week all have genders and personalities. Okay. Letters and numbers most like clearly little less clear with like months, days of the week and colors. Like they'll have genders, but the personalities are less defined to me. Okay. I'm going to go through the first 12 numbers, like one through 12 and tell you what they are. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) In terms of like who they are, I guess. Okay. Because this is like, I want to talk a little bit about my problems with math here in a minute, and this will kind of help explain Okay. And and by the way, like the way I perceive both letters and numbers is they're all pretty young. Like from reading about it, like some people will say like eight is like an old, like a grumpy old woman. Okay. Like for me, they're all kind of children to high school age. Okay. For whatever reason. So one and two are, are young children. They're, they're probably like grade school age children. Well, actually one, two, and three are grade school age children. One is a boy. Two is a girl. They're like buddies. They're like best friends. They hang out all the time. Three is also friends with them. Mm-hmm. But three, three has a crush on two. Two is not real interested in three. Like, <laughs> um, so three is like real sad. Like I always see three is like a real sad number. Four is two's older brother. Okay. Four is a boy. 
obviously older brother okay. Forrest is like a good shit he's like a good guy like he's he's always laughing he's always fun you you want to hang out with four four is friends with five five you got to watch out for five's like kind of a sociopath like okay five is the kid who's like well i'll get to it in a minute but like five five's a bad kid don't trust five okay six is a girl five has a big crush on six six is like no five like you're garbage i want nothing to do with you okay uh because six actually has a crush on seven who's a boy okay seven is like four like he's older seven is okay. older um he's just like a good guy like good friendly dude but like a little bit of a troublemaker Okay. So like the difference between seven and five, like seven's going to get you in trouble because he's going to be like, Hey, you should like sneak a couple beers out of your parents' fridge. And Mm -hmm. like, whereas like five is like, Hey, we should like light this cat on fire. Okay. Like that's the difference between the two. Okay. Like seven's like an Eddie Haskell type like okay. from like whatever. Nobody, n- any young, what is it? Leave it to Beaver. Leave it to Beaver. Leave it to Beaver. Yeah. 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 That <laughs> weird, reference just flew over a good chunk reference. of our listeners' heads. Um, so <laughs> six has a crush on seven, mm-hmm. but seven has a crush on nine. Okay. Eight and nine are like high school age girls. They're friends. Okay. Nine oh, is okay. like the pretty popular one. Eight okay. is like the slightly less pretty friend of nine. Okay. It's a little bit the hanger on. Okay. But like eight is a much nicer person than nine. Nine's okay. like a little bit of a mean girl. Oh, okay. Nine. So seven has a crush on nine. Nine has a crush on 10. 10, 11, and 12 are all like super good friends. And they're all like the like popular jock types. 10 and 12 are best friends. 11 is like also friends with them, but 11's a little bit like, like a little, like less close to them. Like okay. 10 and 12 are like super tight. 11 is like the friend that they let hang out, but like can be kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. And then once you get past 12, all the numbers become just a combination of the first two numbers. So like 13 isn't like doesn't have a, a personality or gender. 13 is one and three hanging out together. So okay. for some reason, for me, it goes up through 12. Now, all of the letters of the alphabet also have very defined personal. I'm not going to go through them. I mean, you can like throw me a letter and quiz me and I can tell you, but like, I'm not going to go through all 26 or Okay, real fast. Can I do this? Yeah. Okay. The letter J. J is a guy. Okay. Uh, J and K are super good friends. J, K, and L are like really good friends. Okay. K is like kind of the class clown type that's like a little bit too annoying. Okay. J is his friend. So like if J and K go to a party together, uh-huh. J will always like at some point have to apologize for K's behavior. Okay. Like uh, he's he's fine. He just got a little drunk or whatever. You okay. Know? Okay. Um, Jay like Jay's a good guy. Like, okay. Yeah. The letter E. E is a boy. E's like the he's like the chess nerd. Okay. Like super smart, super smart nerd, but like not like socially inept nerd. Okay. You know, he's like he's like pretty social and everything, but he's definitely like a nerd. Okay. The letter C. C is a boy. So the relationship between A, B, and C is similar uh-huh. to the relationship between one, two, and three. Whereas mm-hmm. like A and B, A is a boy, B is a girl. They're super tight friends. C is a boy who has a crush on B. Okay. I think they're a little older than one, two, and three. They're, they'd be like middle school aged. Okay. Okay. My next, I, I have, I have two more questions if I okay. can interject them real fast. Okay. One, does this particular type of synesthesia, synesthesia, is it simply when you were looking at text or if you walk into a setting where there are three people, do you have some kind of a reaction to like, to it's, that? It's, it's seeing them printed or hearing the number. So like okay. if I see three people, I'm not like, yeah, it doesn't. 
Okay. Doesn't then, seem to like incorporate spatial okay. relationships. Yeah. Okay. Then my other question is with all of this stuff, does that mean that you have preconceptions or certain feelings on people just based on their name because of the first letter of their name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's something I've thought about. And I actually, I realized that I do do that. Okay. Um. So like you, for instance, Amelia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I have to take that extra step to be like, Amelia is a female name because A to me is a boy. Uh-huh. But like, I like A. Uh-huh. A is okay. like, he's a good shit. He's like, he's like a good kid. So like, you know, you with your name, Amelia, like I'll immediately like be a little more open to you as a person okay. than say someone whose first name starts with L. Okay. Because L's like a little bit of a dick. Like okay. L, L is like, he's also a boy. Okay. Um, L's like the like social striver type. Like he's trying to be cooler than he is and will like kind of fuck over his friends uh, Uh, because he wants to hang out with the cool kids. Okay. So if your name is like Larry, I'm, I'm probably more inclined to like distrust you a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm very like, I get over it. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like you're like, I have no friends with, okay. Right. Okay. Interesting. Please continue. So, so yeah, so that's my experience with this ordinal linguistic personification. What's interesting to me is like, I've had this my entire life, never really thought much about it. Mm -hmm. I think I was like sort of slightly aware of it, but I always assumed this was just like, I'm a writer. I'm an imaginative person. This had something Mm -hmm. to do with my imagination. Mm -hmm. But as I do the reading, it doesn't. And the way that you know it doesn't is that these genders, personalities have been locked in since as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. Now they've evolved a little bit as I've gotten older. So like, I remember being a kid and being a little confused as to whether why was a boy or a girl. What I've decided now thinking about it now is like, I think why is non-binary. Yeah. I was going to ask if any non-binary stuff comes into this. Why has always been like kind of androgynous to me. It's like an androgynous uh, letter. So is X. Why and X are androgynous letters to me for some reason. But these things have been locked in since I can remember. Same with the letters, numbers, that's the same way. Days of the week. So just very quickly, like Saturday and Sunday are the mom and dad. Mm -hmm. So Saturday's the dad. He's kind of the stern father. Sunday is like the very like sweet loving mother. Uh Monday, Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday are the older sisters. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday are the younger brothers. Okay. And it's always, it's just always been that way in my brain. Interesting. Now, if we can get somebody to draw this little day of the week family, uh, that would be real cool. They're they're very, they're like a very close family. Like they, they all get along. Like Monday's like kind of the bossy older sister. She's like kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. Tuesday is like this somewhat shyer, younger, slightly younger sister, okay. you know, but like they're all, they're all good people. And is it like, are they in descending order? So Monday's the oldest, Friday's mm-hmm. the youngest? No, well, actually, no. They're in descending order until you get to Thursday. Thursday is actually the youngest. Friday okay. is, it goes, Monday is the oldest, Tuesday's the second oldest, Wednesday's the third, Friday's the fourth, Thursday is the youngest. Okay. Yeah, I don't, who knows why. And then like similarly, like someone, you go through these letters one through 12, they do get older as you go up. So like, that's why I say one and two are the youngest. They're like kind of grade school age kids. By the time you get to 10, 11, 12, they're teenagers. Interesting. Um, now for letters, I think they're all, it's like letters, they're all kind of the same age. And they all are like, like think about them being like in the same high school class together. Okay. So they're all kind of the same peer group. 
Okay. And then colors have colors, months, they all have like those are less defined to me. The genders are pretty defined, but the personalities are not as defined. Mm-hmm. Have you explored what any of this means in terms of letters that exist in other languages? Like like Spanish has the double L, the L and the the and with the tilde, the Enye. Mm-hmm. Have you have you so there any I have thought about it a little bit. So like in my mind, the double L, uh-huh. it's just two L's hanging out. Okay. Together. Like in the Enya over the N or the accent over the E doesn't mm-hmm. like the E in Spanish with the accent is to me just an E. Where there's a break that happens is like if I look at like letters like Cyrillic alphabet, they mm-hmm. don't have any association for me. There's oh, no okay. there's no uh, gender or per- personality associated with them. And it's probably because I'm just I'm not familiar with them. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. one thing that's interesting to me about this and I was had a hard time determining if this is like something they've really determined is a thing or if i'm just reading stuff anecdotally but it makes sense to me is that there is a bit of a disagreement but it seems like just looking reading about it on like reddit message boards and stuff Mm -hmm. anecdotally it seems pretty common that people who have this ordinal linguistic personification Mm -hmm. seem to be very good at language skills Uh and very bad at math (laughs) and this would be me so like here's so here's from that article it says my number friends and their personalities it's the medium article yeah she has like a little Q&A and someone asked like does this mean you're like really really good at math she says no I'm actually unusually horrible at math she says a psychology major friend of mine told me that some scientists think that ordinal linguistic personification might actually interfere with learning math since the way we're taught math in school typically doesn't take into account made up number personas and it can get confusing for people like me now, from that like list verse article, the 10 disadvantages of synesthesia, mm-hmm. they say one common stereotype is that synesthetes are bad at math. While synesthetes range in mathematical ab- ability, just as non-synesthetes do, individuals with certain types of synesthesia may have to view the mathematical processes a little differently. Mm-hmm. For an individual with linguistic personification, for instance, math can be at times uncomfortable. The act of adding a mean number to a nice number, a quote, mean number to a nice number may cause a level of anxiety (laughs) because the synesthete does not want to expose the nice number to the meanness of the other number in the problem. So I, when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. I got put into special ed. I was second or third grade. They, Mm. I was having problems specifically with math in school. Mm -hmm. Oh, before I get into, I just want to say I did confirm. So, uh, and she said, I could mention her by name. I had a Google hangout with my friend Mandy yesterday. Uh uh uh, She was kind of my uh, best friend from graduate school. I hate her. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Like knives are out. (laughs) (laughs) And and so, Hey Mandy, I know you're listening because she says she's listening to the podcast. Um, Amelia doesn't (laughs) actually hate you. Not at Um, all. But she, I was asking, we were talking about this and we had talked about, she and I had talked about this before because she saw me posting about it when I uh-huh. discovered that I had this. She uh-huh. has this as well. She has oh, uh, OLP as well. And so I asked her, I was like, so just curious, how are you with like arithmetic, like basic math? And the way she put it, she was like, let me spell it out for you. Okay. <laughs> or she was like, let me paint you a picture. She was like, AP honors English my entire life. Failed remedial math twice. Ooh. 
And I was like, hard, same. Interesting. <laughs> and so we were talking about like a little bit like why this is. And we we're like, yeah, the relationships between the numbers just don't make sense. Yeah. So when I was in second or third grade, they did some testing on me because I was having some problems. They were trying to determine if I had a learning disability. When it came to language skills, I was literally off the charts. Like they mm-hmm. told me, they were like, well, you read at above a 12th grade level. This is when I was in the third grade. But mm-hmm. what they told me is like, well, actually, we just can't measure. Like it only measures up to a 12th grade level. And you actually read well beyond that. So they're like, you're at least, you're reading at at least a college level. Math, though, was like the hard opposite of that. Like my skills with math were shockingly bad. <laughs> and so being in Los Alamos in particular, this was like, you know, where everyone's an engineer or a scientist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. That was pretty rough. So there was like a real debate. And I've talked to my mom about this. Um, there was a debate whether to put me in the gifted program or the special ed program. And they ended up putting me in special ed. Never were able to solve this math problem for me. Like I've never gotten good at it. But what I realized as I started looking into this ordinal linguistic synesthesia mm-hmm. uh, issue is that the problem for me, because I understand mathematical concepts fine. Like the abstract idea of math, I understand the idea of like fractions that doesn't mm-hmm or multiplication, or even calculus, algebra, geometry. I understand it on a conceptual level. But when you get to the basic arithmetic, I struggle. So like, like I always have to take a pause. Like if you were to say 9 plus 4, or 5 plus 4 equals 9. Mm-hmm. Like I know that that's true, but what my brain does is it says, well, 5 plus 4 can't equal 9 because 9 hates 5 and kind of doesn't know that 4 exists. So how can 4 plus 4? five equal nine you know because i'm Mm -hmm. my brain is trying to go to these like relationships between them Mm -hmm. so i've gotten to where i can do like basic arithmetic like you know if it's small numbers but it always takes me i have like i have to take this extra step before i can be like oh wait no they're they're not actually human beings they're numbers so nine Mm -hmm. nine things plus another four things or five things plus another four things equals nine things you know Mm-hmm. Like I almost have to visualize it as like sticks or something lined up. Okay. And then if it gets to like multiplication or division, like forget it. Like I, I can't do it in my head. And if and if you're asking me to add two numbers that are more that like that are two digits or more together, like say 24 plus 36, I can't, I can't do it because I get so bound up in like, well, but two is four's younger sister and blah 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 Right. Blah. And then if you were like to be, you know, like even numbers, like take the number 312. Mm -hmm. What I see when I see 312, like the number 312, I see three, one, and two hanging out together. But three is like only talking to one because he doesn't want two to know that he's into her. Oh my God. Okay. Whereas if you say 321. Uh Uh-huh. Three, two, and one are hanging out, but three is like kind of sidling up to two, being like, so how how are you doing? You know, Uh trying to like, yeah. So like my brain is like trying to sort that out while it's also trying to add numbers together (laughs) or subtract numbers or division, like long division, forget it. I can't do it. I just, I can't. Yeah. And you know, at at this point in my life, it's like, fuck it. I've got a calculator. Who cares? You know? (laughs) But yeah, but that's like, I never understood exactly because a lot of it's kind of subconscious. So I've never understood exactly that that's what my brain is doing. Right. When I'm trying to calculate sums. It's such a weird thing too. I was having this discussion, I think with my mom the other day and she, I think maybe got a little bit grumpy at me, but I, because I think we were actually talking about this, the skills that 
are necessary for development in children. Mm-hmm. And I think I was talking, I was, I was, I was specifically talking about um, not, not development rather, but just, you know, to make them like successful adults. And I was talking about things like civics and mm-hmm. personal finance and stuff like that. And I was telling her, I was like, get rid of the higher maths. Why is <laughs> anybody learning any of the higher maths in middle school and high school? Mm-hmm. Like if you want to go into math and listen, no shade, if you do, God bless you and Godspeed. If you fucking love math. It is so foreign to me, but thank God for you. So not saying that they're worthless or anything, but they're just so like, it's insane to me that the higher maths and I like that calculus and like, honestly, algebra. Well, and I'm, and, and the reason I say that is to me, algebra is no less focused Mm -hmm. than art. Right. Like right. to it, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't use algebra in my day-to-day life. I certainly don't I've use calculus used it out of school. Yeah, yeah. Or anything like that. And so why not create it as an elective so that you can make room for subjects like civics, but home economics, like that. Yeah. Was- yeah. I, I, I think I tend to agree because like, there's a lot of like life skills stuff that you don't learn in school. Mm-hmm. And then, and like, for me, I do got to say, and like, this isn't like the poor Scotty episode, like guys, I'm doing fine. Don't like <laughs> write in with your sympathy or whatever. I don't like, I'm fine. But like, it was kind of rough growing up in Los Alamos with this specific yeah. issue because I fucking sucked at math. Like, mm-hmm. and like, so like Mandy was saying, she's like, failed remedial math twice i didn't fail a lot of math classes because luckily i did have an engineer father who kind of just wouldn't let me fail and would just Mm -hmm. work with me Mm -hmm. on stuff but i got a lot like i fought for a lot of c's in math yep i did fail a math class and i think i failed one math class in high school um definitely fucking failed chemistry like nobody's business Um, chemistry i thought chemistry was so rude i was like (laughs) this is math and science like i I cannot believe how rude this is oh my god and like again god i knew people who like they just understood it like it was they were like fluent and it's an interesting thing because i also was awful at math i Mm. fought i fought for c's the highest grade i ever ever got in a math class ever was a b that i got in geometry uh mr cole's class in high school um (laughs) he was a great teacher but yeah it never made sense to me and i still doesn't yeah and there's so much stuff that i wonder about like you know there's there's stuff what a great time to be alive right because now we're (laughs) learning about this stuff and so these things can be addressed in childhood development and rather Mm -hmm. than being like oh well you're you're an idiot or you aren't working hard enough or Mm -hmm. uh you're you know whatever it's understanding that like this person's brain just doesn't work this way so i think that's another reason for me of being like what's the point like why force children to go into these classes that they're just going to be like my brain does not work in that way right well and that's kind of what happened with me and like i said like i like i didn't end up failing a lot of math classes as i got older because my dad would just really work with me but i i never understood why i was so bad at math now the one math class i did really well and i actually got an a in was algebra and I think because algebra is more about the abstract concepts, it takes you a little bit out of the arithmetic. You know, it's about making the two sides of the equal sign mm-hmm. the same. So for whatever reason, I, and also I had a really good algebra teacher, Mr. Fisher. So I did really well mm-hmm. in algebra. That's the only math class I've ever done well in. 
And I, was, and I don't remember any of it. Mm. But, you know, I got put into special ed and I fucking hated it in elementary school. And specifically because I'm, I won't name her, but my first special ed teacher was fucking me. Like, it was like she didn't understand why I had a problem with it. So she would literally just reinforce the problem by being like, get mad at me yeah i did have another special ed teacher later and i'm gonna name check her mrs frostinson because i think her son i think is a listener to the podcast if you are hey day how's it going she was great she really tried but i never could get to where arithmetic wasn't a struggle and i think it's because i didn't understand that my brain was making this it was like tangling the numbers up with these like relationships, personal relationships between the numbers. Right. I wasn't ever, ever able to articulate that. Yeah. So no one was really, and I, and I wonder like this would have been in the eighties. I wonder how much real understanding there even was of this. Well, I don't even know. I mean, it feels like learning disabilities didn't even start coming into play until I was in, I want to say high school, that they started talking about things like dyslexia and stuff like that, that it was like, hey, like there are people who just aren't going to be, who aren't going to learn right. in the same way. They There was an awareness of learning disabilities. And I only know that because they were like, I remember, you know, being mid eighties then trying to figure out what learning disability I had. Mm-hmm. And and like, they were never able to, re- they were like, well, is it ADHD? Doesn't seem like that. Like I never fit. Like I remember at some point they actually tested to see if I was on the autism spectrum mm-hmm. and I very clearly wasn't. So they could never figure out what it was. Honestly, I think it was this. I think it was this. And this wasn't recognized as a learning disability or as mm-hmm. just a different way of learning. Mm-hmm. Because I wonder if there was more understanding around it, if there would have been a way for me to learn how to use this as a way to learn arithmetic. Like, I don't right. know how that would even work, but right. I wonder if there are ways out there because it just really like my memory of special ed is that mostly they would just drill me to try and like drive this stuff home. And it just, it wasn't sticking. And I think the reason it wasn't sticking is I was still fighting, like you say, five plus four equals nine. I'm still fighting this idea of like what nine feels about five and four. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, it's like getting in the way. So yeah. And again, being not good at math in a place like Los Alamos is not a lot of fun because people just think you're stupid. Yeah. Just people thought I was stupid sort of until I graduated high school. Yeah. I think maybe by the time I got into into high school, people were like, realized I was like really good at writing. So they didn't think I was stupid anymore. But but that wasn't like necessarily valued up there. Right. Like if you're, yeah, but, but if you're not going to go to like MIT and be a nuclear physicist, what good are you? Right. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, that is my story of having... And I don't want to say like suffering from or being afflicted with, because I actually think now that I understand what it is, I think it's pretty fucking cool. But like I have <laughs> oh. or linguistics anesthesia. All right. Well, good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done with your, uh, with your synesthesia there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Gosh. Yeah. I just didn't, I don't know. And again, just like one, we need to pay teachers more just because like they've got to deal with this kind of shit. You know what I mean? And right. not that this is dealing with this kind of shit, but it's like, you know, trying to suss out like the different learning right. modalities of each child and how, you know, how to help each child succeed mm-hmm. um, when it could be, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, 
<laughs> any any number of things that could be causing hiccups in a child's development and and learning capability. Right. So well, and like I said, you know, I had a lot of really good teachers. I had some mean teachers, some mean math teachers mm-hmm. who also didn't understand why I struggled with stuff. They thought mm-hmm. a lot of it was if they didn't think I was stupid, they thought I was lazy. Yeah. And and I think there was a point at which I just kind of shut down when it came to math. I kind of stopped trying because yeah. I do know, like my dad got frustrated with me because right. I, there was a point at which I was just like, I'm never going to be good at this. So. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, I think that's the other, that's another thing too, right. Is that like, you know, it, for so long, it was like, this is in for like, this is awareness and understanding that is available to everybody. So if you do not have this awareness or this understanding, it is either because mm-hmm. you are stupid or lazy Mm -hmm. exactly and like like i said like i don't want to i had one really pretty bad special ed teacher Mm -hmm. and then like my memory is mrs frostenson she she came in later i think probably fourth or fifth grade and she really tried like she sort of tried everything to figure out why i was struggling and it just but like i wasn't able to vocalize what it was right yeah so cuz how would you know she didn't have the tools to like there was no test or anything that would have diagnosed this yeah so. i had a horrible math teacher i mean honestly he's probably dead now but um <laughs> i had a horrible well this is hard because he seemed old when i was mm. in 8th grade he could have been my age yeah. so <laughs> who knows um <laughs> Uh, and I, when I say he was horrible, I have no idea how he was at teaching the class, but I'm pretty sure he was at least mildly racist. Mm. Um, I don't know why I said that. Like there, like, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's a bit of a, there's like, right. There's the pyramid of like white supremacy. Right. Pretty sure he was racist and just the meanest goddamn christian i've ever met in my Uh, entire life yeah uh he would he prohibited anybody wearing halloween costumes in his class Mm. on halloween this Um, is a public school right yeah this is at a public school yeah not yeah no this was not what happened when i was going to catholic school at annunciation this was uh 100 a public school yeah and he yeah he was just he i god i i hated that class i hated Mm. that class so much i hated going there one because i was like i don't i don't get the subject and two just so mean he was so yeah yeah well eighth graders (laughs) relax well like i said i had some good teachers and i had some mean teachers i think where it really became a problem for me because i definitely went through a period like now as i'm older i really wish i had found a way to get past some of this because mm-hmm. this i struggled with a rhythm literally it's it's arithmetic that mm-hmm. i struggled with. so i assumed that meant i was bad at all math i didn't really understand actually how well i understand mathematical concepts mm. and there are classes that like i wish i'd tried harder in like some of my science classes mm-hmm. because now that i'm older i find science very interesting mm-hmm. but the math portion of the science class is always just I was just like, nope. Like I almost developed a phobia of it. Yeah. At a absolutely. certain point. And, but for me, it was actually less the teachers that were a problem. It certainly wasn't my parents. Like like I said, my dad would get frustrated with me because there was a point at which I did get lazy about it. Mm-hmm. And he would be like, you could do better if you just put in like a little effort. Mm-hmm. He was never like, you have to be straight A math, whatever. He was just like, I know you can do better. Mm -hmm. so he kind of wouldn't let me get away with shit Mm -hmm. for me it was the kids like growing up in los alamos 
where all the kids were into science and math came easy to them. At least this is what it felt like to me. Mm-hmm. Like it was the kids that made me feel stupid mm. um, because they would see me struggling and be like, well, Scotty stupid, you know, and yeah. call me stupid or like meaner names than that. You know? Right. So like, I do wish this is something like, I think it's pretty cool now. I do wish it's something I had figured out much earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah. then I could have maybe worked with it a little bit more, but yeah. Yeah. All right. So, I guess that's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for uh, tuning in to another, hopefully not super dark and depressing episode. I don't think this one was. No. Um, and uh, reach out to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Twitter, rate, um, subscribe, subscribe, rate, review, do yeah, all those things. Do all the things. Um, yeah. And, you know, again, I'll tease everybody with merch. Um, yeah. One of these <laughs> we days, can... we'll, we're going to have the believability scale <laughs> t-shirt. The believability scale. There was a slogan. I'm not going to say it uh, right now in case we want to surprise our fans with yeah. merchandise for it. <laughs> but there was a slogan that came up in a conversation the other day with Scotty and I that we'll put on a shirt or a bumper sticker or a mug or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, thanks for listening. You guys are the best. Thank you. <laughs> that wasn't to you, Scotty. That was to our listeners. I know. I'm saying thank you all to our oh. listeners. <laughs> that was weird. All right. We're going to, re- yeah. we're going to end things we'll, there. We'll end there. All right. <laughs> Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. So listen, friends, we'll blow your mind with the finest nonsense we could find. Might be true. And that's the weirdest thing.